Good morning. Thanks, Gary, for reading the word uh, to us this morning. And thanks to Mika and her team for leading us in worship. Hope you had a great uh, week in the Lord. And if you're visiting us for the first time, just want to say welcome to San Lo. Uh, we're glad that you are spending our, your Sunday morning with us. And it's great to have you here today. Uh, for the rest of us who are here on a regular basis, uh, if you notice, we made some improvements uh, in the bathrooms and in the uh, entryway. And so I just want to say thanks Stan and Josh and their team for um, stripping the wallpaper off. If you don't notice, it's sort of already almost peeling off, but um, we praise God for the improvements that they helped to make to take down the wallpaper and then to retexture and repaint. So thank you so much for working so hard and tirelessly last weekend to do that. Hopefully, uh, uh, we, as we look forward and we move forward, we'll see some more improvements uh, as well. And if we move, uh, hopefully it'll help us uh, sell our facility off to the next uh, church that might uh, accompany themselves here. Today we are in our final Sunday in the Gospel of John. And I am sort of sad to see us move on from John. It has been a delight to my heart and into my own life to be in the Gospel of John week in and week out and just studying Jesus. And as we titled our series, Treasuring Christ, hopefully for you uh, at the beginning of the year and till now, you are in a different place with Jesus. That Christ has become more of a treasure to your heart and to your life and to your mind. That you have fallen in more in love with Jesus because he is the greatest treasure that we could ever have. Amen? Well, as we uh, think about this sermon and then next week, we will begin a new series, something to look forward to in our summer series. And in summer, we usually go into a topical series. And so we will be um, in a series called Why Doctrine Matters. Okay, a little bit heavier, I think, but hopefully um, very insightful and very encouraging and convicting to look at why we believe what we believe as Christians and the doctrines of our faith to encourage us not only in salvation, but in life as well. So look forward to that. This morning, as we approach the Lord, this is his final lesson to us. We've entitled it, One Final Lesson. And the main point this morning is to serve the Lord because he first served you. Serve the Lord because he first served us. Think about that this morning as we go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning grateful, thankful, humbled by our time with you in the Gospel of John. And Lord, as we look and reflect, God, at your word, you so desired to serve us first. You stepped out of heaven, down to earth, to be born in human flesh, to be a sinless man, to be a perfect man so that you would be our Savior and our Lord. And then you would be crucified on a cross and risen again for our salvation, to give us new life in Christ, to serve us, God, when we didn't deserve it, to show us grace and forgiveness. And Lord, this morning, as we come to you, God, maybe it's hard to serve you today. Maybe we're tired and weary from life. 
Would you give us a newness and a freshness to serve you today? Father, maybe we've been hurt by past pains, by burnout. Maybe we've wandered away from you. And God, would you draw us back to yourself? May we see you calling us, Lord, back home to be transformed as you transformed Peter's life and our life so that you would get the praise and glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, have you ever gone fishing? Anyone gone fishing? I know there are some expert fishermen uh, amongst us. I am not one of those. Okay? But I do recall one time when I went fishing with my dad. I was young. We got up before the sun was rising. It was very dark, and it was cold, and I was wondering in my sleepy head, is this really worth it <laughs> to get up this early and to go fishing, to be in the cold air and amongst the waves and to be on that boat that goes up and down, up and down, and you feel seasick. Maybe you feel like that right now. But there is that excitement when you catch the fish, right? When there you feel that pull on that line, and you, then you can pull that sucker into the boat. What a thrill it is to catch a fish. And this was the life for the disciples. They were expert fishermen. This was their craft. They knew it well. This was their livelihood, too. It depended on whether they caught fish or not if they ate that day. And so we find the disciples in our story this morning back in the boat after Christ has been crucified and risen from the dead, and they have gone fishing, you could say. And that term, gone fishing, can mean different things. It can mean being out to lunch. It also used on a, TV, a TNT NBA show by the broadcasters for teams that have gone fishing, not named the Golden State Warriors. The Lakers have gone fishing, the Blazers have gone fishing, the Rockets have gone fishing, and soon the Raptors will be gone fishing, right? <laughs> But sadly, that term also means one who loses their priorities and responsibilities in life. Or deeper, it can mean that you've been checked out from reality and everything. And spiritually speaking, gone fishing can describe us sometimes. It can describe our relationship with God. That we no longer have a sense of responsibility to him or our actions for him. Maybe because of past pains or hurts or burnouts. Or even worse, we want nothing to do with God. We said we tried that before, no thank you. Maybe that's you this morning. In any condition, there is hope. There is always hope. And Christ comes to his disciples to teach them why not to check out. He wants us not to lose faith and hope but to ma maintain a vibrant and faithful relationship with God, to understand the consequences and joys of following Christ, no matter what it might cost us. And so Jesus has one final last lesson for his disciples and for us to understand how we can serve the Lord, how we can faithfully serve our master, not in the short run, but in the long run, for in a lifetime, for an eternity. And that's a question we're going to answer this morning. If you want to follow along, there is a handout, and the first point is, serve the Lord by his divine power and not your own. Serve God with his strength and not your strength. Honor Christ in his way and not yours. Not in self-sufficiency, not by your own talents or in intellect, 
but by the power that God gives you through the Holy Spirit who dwells within every believer and gives us divine power from on high. That's the first point. If you have your devices or your Bibles, please turn with me to John chapter 21, verses 1 to 8 to see this first point. If you're looking for John, it's the fourth book in the New Testament after Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and I'll be reading from the ESV Bible. Chapter 21, verse 1. After Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan in Galilee, and sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking and Jesus stood on the shore, and yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus, Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. We'll stop there. This is the third time Jesus has appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. He has commanded them to go up to Galilee, place where he was with them for much of his time teaching them and loving them and instructing them. And so they go back to their home base where they were with Jesus. And Simon Peter, the leader of the disciples, says, I want to go fishing. So there he goes with his disciples. They follow suit. Now there's debate about, you know, are the disciples slacking off? Have they lost their responsibilities? They're supposed to be fishers of men. Or are they just doing their normal activities? Paying the bills. Well, I like to think that they were just doing their normal thing as fishermen and waiting for Jesus. And yet we have to remember that they're expert fishermen. They understood their craft. They knew where to uh, throw their nets, what time of day to go fishing. And yet they have caught absolutely nothing. And there's a lesson there that Jesus has in verse 5, Jesus um, says this, as the sun is coming up and the fish are supposed to go down, he says, children, do you have any fish? Jesus is almost sarcastic. He's almost mocking and playing with the disciples. And he's calling them little, little children. Move aside. Let me show you how it's done. That I can raise fish even when the sun is rising. And so he takes this opportunity to make this final mark and give this final lesson to his disciples. If the cross wasn't enough and the resurrection was enough, they are. But he wants to teach them this lesson. To rise a boatload of fish up to create this huge haul, 153 fish. Jesus is really showing off. And so why does he do this? 
What lesson is he trying to teach them and us? Well, Jesus is simply saying, I am the expert. I am the supreme authority over nature because I am God. And he said this over and over again in John. I am the source of power, of salvation, and in life for you. Think for yourself for a second. Do you think you're the smartest student in school? You can't be without God's help. You think that you're the best in your field of work, that you're in control? No, God is always in control. You can try, try your best to be the best dad or the best mom, read all the best books about raising a child. And yet God is the one really raising your child in many ways. It's really difficult to think that we're not in control and we think that we've got this. Why do we think that? Because many of us as Asians, we've been brainwashed or, sorry, we've been raised to think that we can do everything and anything. We've been taught to be self-sufficient, that we can do things within our own power to be the greatest parent, the most successful person, to be completely self-sufficient. Yet the true reality is that we are not. Rather, we are meek and dependent, weak beggars who need the strength of God. There is no room for self-sufficiency in the Christian life. There's only room for God's sufficiency to live, to serve, to parent, to study, to work in God's strength. And if that's you, if you're struggling today, it might be because you're trying too hard. You're trying to do things on your own power, or you're trying to do it all. And this is what Jesus says to that in John 15, 5. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Remain in me, and I in you. You will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't parent outside the strength of God. Try it, and you will exacerbate your children. I know from experience. The most painful and regretful moments as a father is yelling at my kids because I'm tired. And you know what? It never works. They just cry harder. And if you're a struggling, weary parent today, come and find rest in Jesus. He will give you the ability to care for your kids. If you've been serving the Lord out of your own experience or your own ability, you say, you know what? I've taught Sunday school for 10 years and 20 years. I know what I'm doing. That might be true, but eventually you will probably burn out if you do that. And Jesus says, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. I will give you strength for every task. And lastly, you can work and lead others by your own smarts. But try it over time, and you will probably lead others astray, and you yourself may go astray, even astray into moral failure. Just ask many pastors and CEOs who have. Sadly, it just requires one sinful lapse to fall from grace. And that's the instruction Jesus has for his disciples in this last amazing fishing lesson to serve out of his expertise and his power and not our own. Out of the Holy Spirit who lives and breathes and dwells within you, and not any human spirit. That's the first point. The second truth is serve the Lord out of his abundant grace for you. 
It is because of grace we can serve the Lord. It is a privilege and honor to serve our God. It is not an obligation or a duty. It is a gift and blessing we do not deserve. Serve out of his abundant grace. Look at uh, verses 9 to 14 for this point. Verse 9. When we go out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish, which, that which you just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. And now was the third time that Jesus was revealed to disciples after he was raised from the dead. This might seem like a normal scene, just breakfast with the Savior. However, it is far from normal because there's this tiny uh, and very important detail, the fire. And it sounds just like a campfire and some fish being warmed and heated up. And, you know, I wish right here there was this scratch and sniff Bible. Mmm, like, oh, I smell that fish and that bread. And you, you see this, this fire is very important. Because the scene is represent, uh, reminiscent of another fire that just occurred with Simon Peter. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 18, just quickly over. John 18, verse 15. And we'll see why this is important. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door, and so the other disciple, whom was known to the high priest, and went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. And the servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. And now the servants and the officers made a charcoal fire, which was cold, because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. And Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. You see, Jesus links these two stories, these two narratives together. As one. The first scene that Peter denies Jesus not just once, but three times. He warms himself by a fire. He warmed his heart with sin and denial and betrayal. And yet Jesus flips all of this. He flips the script by sitting down with Peter to smell the same burning fire. And if you're Peter smelling that flame, you could only be drawn back to what had just happened. And Jesus changes that moment from betrayal to forgiveness, from sin to grace. The flavor of the moment is turned upside down. Grace has abound. Unmerited favor of God has redeemed this betrayer into a leader. Think if your best friend turned his or her back on you and then sat down to have breakfast with you. It would be a great act of forgiveness. The communion table reminds us of the very same thing as well. As believers, we're not only saved by grace, but we serve the Lord by grace. 
And this lesson is so important for us and for the disciples because if we forget that, then we begin to serve God out of obligation and out of duty, and our acts of service become just mere acts of religion or pious acts. Our service becomes empty. We forget that serving God is a gift. This past week, I had the privilege of sharing the devotional in our basketball league, our church basketball league called G1 Sports. Props to our team. Go, San Lo. Uh, we'll get them next week. Right, Randy? <laughs> but the theme for that night was grace versus performance. And I shared with both teams that everything we have is grace. Every day that you have is a gift. We deserve none of it. We actually deserve the opposite of it. We deserve an eternity in hell, separated from God because of our sinfulness. And yet God, in his great love and mercy toward us, he forgave us and he brings us back into a relationship with him. By grace, Christ came out of heaven into earth to sit in our sin, to be nailed to a cross in order that we would be saved and we would serve him. This was true for Peter. This is true for us. This is the gospel of grace. Maybe you can relate a lot to Peter today. Maybe you came here saying, how can God love someone like me? How can God forgive me for what I've done? I'm so unworthy of God. But I believe God can use anyone. Because I know this, if, if God can use someone like Peter, who turned his back on his friend at the most crucial time in his life and loved him and forgave him, then he can use you. If God can use someone who betrayed Jesus three times and not only turned him into a pastor, but the leader of the church, then God can use you. And God calls all of us into his service, even with our mess-ups, even with our faults, because he loves us with an amazing love and abundant grace. So never give in to the lies of saying that you are unworthy. You are made worthy by the blood of Christ. So far we've seen serve the Lord by his divine power and serve the Lord by his amazing grace. And the last point is, serve the Lord with a deep love and affection for the Savior. Serve the Lord with a great love and desire because he first loved you. Love Jesus with all of your heart. Look at verse 15 and Jesus' interaction with Peter once again. Verse 15, he said, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my sheep. Now we come to the end, the final lesson for Peter, and there's three questions. Do you love me, Peter? Simon, son of John. And Sally, Peter is grieved over their conversation because it seems like Jesus doesn't trust him. But he knows that Peter loves him. So why ask the same question over and over and over again? 
I believe the intention of Jesus is twofold. One is restoration for Peter. Again, there is grace that abounds here. Then in his three denials, he wants to hear three confessions of love from Peter. To understand that Jesus is saying, I've forgiven you not just once, not just twice, but three times and forever. And that's true for all of us. That we fall and we fall into sin over and over again and Jesus forgives us over and over and over again. And the second thing is that Jesus is commissioning Peter here. There are three commissions for Peter. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, serve me, shepherd my church. Jesus is saying, out of a love for me, you will serve me. Love is the key to service. There's nothing more or less than we can do than love Jesus. Because out of a love, then we will serve our God. Pastor Kent Hughes said this so well. The abiding principle is that before all things, even service to him, we must love him with all of our hearts. That is the highest priority in life. It is the number one question for every one of us who wants to please God. Do you love Jesus? Loving God is the highest priority of our lives. I believe this to be so true because if we love God, then we will serve him. If you're married, if you love your spouse, then you will serve them. If you're a parent, if you love your kids, you will serve them. If you have a good friend, then you will serve them. This is the same thing. That's how love works. And Jesus is asking us, do you love me? Do you love me? Or have you lost your first love? Have you come to love other things, even good things, more than me? Examine yourself today and where you are with Jesus and your love for him. And now we come to one final question. Why does Jesus stress love here? To serve him, yes. But this was very important for Peter because of what Jesus says next in verse 18 and 19. Because of the cost. Look at verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourselves and walk wherever you wanted. When you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19, he said to show him by which kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Why? Because following Jesus, serving Jesus will ultimately cost you. It will cost you something. It will cost you your life. And Peter is explain, or Jesus is explained to Peter, when you are young, you could do whatever you want. You could dress yourself the way you want and walk wherever you wanted to go. Look at some of the kids that run around here. They go wherever they want to. And yet, when you are older, and now that you have met your maker, and you have been shown grace upon grace, your life is not your own. Jesus is saying to Peter, your life is mine, and you will be carried by someone else, and someone else will dress you. They will dress you differently because you'll be going to be crucified on a cross. Jesus is prophesying Peter's ultimate death. You see, it cost Jesus his life, and it certainly will cost you and I ours as well. Maybe not physically like Peter, but something substantial. Maybe it's your wallet. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your lifestyle. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's your comfort. When thinking about Christ, it will cost you something today. And the one thing that you do not want to give up or you don't want to let go is probably the thing that God wants you to let go. 
For many of us in America, the idea of cost is so relative because we won't die for our faith or be put in prison, probably. We live in what I call cozy Christianity here with all the freedom and none of the pressure many of times. John Stott wrote this about this idea. My own conviction, he says, for what it's worth, is that if we Christians were to compromise less, if we undoubtedly suffer more, if we were to hold fast the old-fashioned gospel of Christ, Christ crucified for sinners of salvation that is an absolutely free and undeserved gift, then the cross would compel us to be a stumbling block to others. If we're to maintain a high moral standard of honesty, integrity, of chastity before marriage and fidelity in it, of costly self-sacrificing love, then the public would have an outcry for the church. I believe John Stott is right. If we, the church, Christians, live differently, if we counted the cost, then we would live radically different lives. If we deeply love Christ and appreciate the gospel more, it would fully alter the way we live our days, our marriages, our jobs, and our lifestyles. Church, myself included, let us not be stuck in acting like the world, loving lesser gods than the one true God. But let us truly treasure and love Christ above our toys and the lust of the flesh so that we too wouldn't say we've gone fishing for the world so often. I'm always convicted when I hear faith stories, especially those who serve others overseas. They're, those serving as missionaries are really my heroes in many ways. A few weeks ago, I got an email from a friend of mine, pastor friend, who went to serve on a mission trip in East Asia for a few weeks. He was supposed to spend two weeks serving pastors, but his trip got cut short because of persecution. And this is what he wrote to me and others. On the day I arrived, my friends I stayed with last year and taught in the seminary were interrogated. That Sunday, the largest flock to my destination city was shut down as officials swarmed the building. The man teaching the week after me was sent home after 20 years of service. Classes were canceled. As I reflect upon my time in this, I am more grateful for the freedom that we have here in America to worship God. It is easy to take our privileges for granted and to collect gathering together of believers. I am challenged to keep exhorting and to growing the church every day. My friend is answering the call of Jesus to tend his sheep, to serve him. Our friends overseas are answering the call to serve our God. And the question then is, are you? Are you willing to love Jesus with all of your heart in all of your life? Will you love Jesus with all your heart or just part of it? Will you sacrifice for the Lord like he sacrificed for you? Will you serve him when it costs you or just when it's convenient for you? Will you serve and surrender your sin and your lifestyle to him or you keep holding on to it? Hopefully we answer with, yes, Lord, I love you because you loved me, because you died on a cross and you rose again. And so we want to follow our King and our God because of the great abounding love and grace He's shown us because He served us first. So we go and serve Him with our lives. Let's pray. This morning as we come to our God, let us reflect upon this story. 
and in your own heart and mind this morning, think about where you are in this story. Are you still in the boat? Have you gone fishing? Have you distanced yourself from Christ? And he sees you. He knows where you are. And he beckons you to come back home. Maybe you are at the fire. And you have fallen into sin or betrayal. Maybe you have turned your back on God. In a very small way or in a very big way. And Jesus comes and he sits down with you to tell you, you are forgiven. I have already paid for your sin. Come. Come to me. Maybe you are like Peter. And Jesus comes to ask you this question. Do you love me? you love me? And maybe we have a hard time loving God right now. And God wants to reaffirm that love to you. He wants to tell you that he loves you deeply, so much so that he died for you. And Jesus is saying to you, come, come back, come back into my love. Come back to me and to come into the arms of your Savior. And he hugs us and then he sends us out. And he commissions all of us to go and to serve him. God, wherever we are today, Help us to come into repentance, to receive forgiveness, and to find joy and love and hope in Christ. And out of that love and hope, God, we would serve you. We would give you our life. We would count the cost because you sacrificed yourself on our behalf. And we long to give you praise. We long to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.